Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Well, yesterday when we wrapped up the show, I was thinking, gee, what are we going to talk about tomorrow? <laughs> wow, what a day. The Supreme Court just blew up the concealed carry law in New York State and six other states and set the, set the foundation for uh, you know, a whole bunch of other stuff. I'll, I'll tell you all about that in a moment. Also, have you noticed that America is getting meaner? You know, there's this promo for uh, Paramount Plus's new show, Evil, where the evil character says, have you noticed that people are getting meaner? And the other person said, yeah, what does that mean? And, and the person said, it means that our side or that your side is losing. Yeah, uh, fascism is here. I'll tell you about that. Retired generals who fought to defend democracy are now speaking out against fascism and autocracy. We'll get into that. And who else is tired of Tucker Carlson claiming that men are being demasculinized? His latest is the FDA's proposal to reduce the nicotine levels in cigarettes is somehow uh, turning us into, into passive people that the government can control, right? <laughs> but to start out, the Supreme Court just dropped their gun decision this morning, which, according to Sheldon Whitehouse, radically increases the probability that they're going to drop the abortion decision tomorrow morning. Perhaps, I mean, you know, those who think that the Supreme Court is not a political body are living on another planet. And these guys are very political. Today is the day that the Senate is going to vote on some minor marginal around the edges gun control. But uh, I'm guessing that this decision is going to blow that up. I'm guessing that the Republicans are going to use this decision as an excuse to say, oh, wait a minute, we got, we got to go back to the drawing board. And there's no doubt in my mind that the timing of, of this decision and that legislation is no coincidence or, or its ability to blow up that legislation. Similarly, the hearings, the, the January 6th committee hearings are going to be extraordinary in that they are laying out the case for Donald Trump trying to corrupt the Department of Justice, which, by the way, is the exact same thing Richard Nixon did. And it's why his you know, attorney general, the head of the Department of Justice, John Mitchell, went to prison. And so, you know, this is going to be a big deal. But if the Supreme Court drops the abortion decision, is there going to be any conversation about it? Who knows? So anyway, here's basically here's what the Supreme Court said about guns. Right now, most states issue concealed carry permits so that you can carry a concealed weapon in public. In seven states, you have to show a, a need or a justifiable cause for carrying a concealed weapon in public. And uh, those, those states are, um, where did my list go? California, New Jersey, Maryland, Hawaii, Massachusetts, and of course New York, which is the law that got struck down this morning. In all the rest of the states, you apply for a concealed carry permit and it's granted to you. Right here in Oregon, if I wanted a concealed carry, carry permit, I just apply to the state and give them some information, and they say, okay, cool, here you go. But in these seven states, which, by the way, 
are among the states with the absolute lowest levels of gun violence. In these seven states, you have to say, well, you know, I need, the, I need it because, uh, you know, I'm in a business where I might get shot at. Uh, I'm, you know, I, I, uh, I have a, a, a pot dispensary and we take cash to the bank every night. I'm a, I have a jewelry store. I have, you know, whatever. You have to have a reason. And what the Supreme Court said essentially, and, and by the way, they invoked the 14th Amendment, the Equal Protection Clause on this, what the, in addition to the Second Amendment. And keep in mind, the Second Amendment, which starts out, you know, a well-regulated militia being essential to the security of a free state, that well-regulated militia part always was the core of, this, of the Second Amendment until 2008, when Justice Scalia in the Heller decision said, that's a separate part. And we're not even going, we're going to ignore that because there's no longer a well-regulated militia in the United States. There used to be these state militias, now they're, 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 they're the National Guard and that's not really a militia and quack, quack, quack. And so the whole militia part we can throw out and we'll just pay attention to the second half of the sentence. Which is complete BS, but Scalia did it. And so now the court is building on that, saying, well, if we're not paying attention to the well-regulated militia part, we're only saying that the right to carry weapons shall not be abridged then the Second Amendment's no different than the First Amendment, which guarantees your right of free speech. Now, yes, there are some limits on free speech. You can't yell fire in a crowded theater. But those limits are, have to do with place and circumstance. In other words, crowded theater. And so if states going forward want to regulate guns, they can't do it based on who you are unless the standard is absolutely not subject to discretion. In other words, if I'm applying for a, for a carry permit and I say, you know, I need it because I'm a talk show host and I, you know, talk show hosts have been assassinated. It's up to the state to decide whether that's strong enough a reason. In other words, it's discretionary. Some bureaucrat has to make a decision. But if I live in a state where the law says, if you've been convicted of a felony, you can't carry a weapon, and I've been convicted of a felony, which by the way, I've not, but, um, and I had been, then there's no discretion, right? No, no bureaucrat can say, well, yeah, he was, but we'll give him a permit anyway, or no, he wasn't, but we're gonna hold back. No, there's no discretion. So what the Supreme Court ruled today is that states may limit who can carry a handgun, but only in ways that are clearly defined and that don't allow for the discretion of individual bureaucrats. Now, Stephen Breyer, in his dissent, said, quote, in 2020, 45,222 Americans were killed by firearms. Since the start of this year, 2022, there have been 277 reported mass shootings, an average of more than one per day. Gun violence has now surpassed motor vehicle crashes as the leading cause of death among children and adolescents. Many states have tried to address some of the dangers of gun violence just described by passing laws that limit in various ways who may purchase, carry, or use firearms of different kinds. The court today severely burdens states' efforts to do so. It invokes the Second Amendment to strike down a new law, a New York law regulating the public carriage of concealed handguns. In my view, the decision rests upon several serious mistakes. And then he goes on to lay them out. Among others, that the New York law is 100 years old. And suddenly we're figuring this out? By the way, tomorrow is the one-month anniversary of the Uvalde mass shooting. It's pretty incredible. Justice Thomas, who wrote the, the decision today, the gun decision, writes, the Second and Fourteenth Amendment protect an individual's right to carry, carry a handgun for self-defense outside the home. Do you see any of that language in the Second or Fourteenth Amendments? I don't. He goes on to say, the constitutional right to bear arms in public for self-defense is not a second-class right. We know of no other constitutional right that an individual may exercise only after demonstrating a government officer's a special need. How about driving a car? This is the Tom Hartman Program. Now, yes, the Constitution doesn't explicitly say you have the right to transport yourself from place to place because it's obvious, but we still regulate that. 
Uh, Diane in Delaware City, Delaware. Hey, D Diane, what's on your mind today? Hi, Tom. Thanks for taking my call. I'm a longtime listener, but a first-time caller. Well, thank you, Diane. I've read that the Supreme Court does not have enforcement power, that the only enforcement they have is with the executive and legislative branch, which the Democrats control. So maybe since the court's being so tone deaf with guns and abortion, maybe it's time for uh, the executive and legislative branch to just say, hey, thanks for your opinion and let the American people move on. Yeah, there there are a couple of spectacular examples. There's really only uh, two major ones in history where the Supreme Court ruled uh, something and and the, the executive branch, uh, w which executes the laws, um, ignored that. The first was when Andrew Johnson or Jackson was president and the Supreme Court ruled against essentially the Trail of Tears, said you cannot relocate those uh, Cherokee Indians from Georgia up to Oklahoma. And uh, Andrew Jackson did it anyway. Actually, most of it was uh, the, the president that followed him. I'm forgetting which one it was, but um, uh, did it anyway and, and uh, is, is alleged to have said, it might be apocryphal, but uh, is alleged to have said John Marshall, who was the chief justice of the Supreme Court at the time, John Marshall has made his decision, let him uh, enforce it. And the second one was in, in, uh, six, in, in 1861 when Abraham Lincoln became president and the Dred Scott decision of 1856, which said that uh, African-Americans are not fully uh, Americans or even fully human, but are the property of white people in every state in the union. And Abraham Lincoln said, we're gonna ignore that. In fact, he, he went on to say that if we are subject to the whims of the Supreme Court, we've reduced the country to despotism or words to that effect. There's a famous quote from, from Abraham Lincoln about how important it is to occasionally defy the Supreme Court. That has been largely forgotten. I mean, you know, the Supreme Court did not do this kind of thing before really the 1880s. The modern era of the Supreme Court using the, the judicial review power, the judicial supremacy power, that they gave to themselves in 1803 in the Marbury versus Madison decision is, is uh, something that didn't even begin until all of the founding generation was long dead. And uh, I, I think, frankly, it's why I wrote a book about it, the, the Hidden History of the Supreme Court and the Betrayal of America. I think you know, Congress needs to step up and regulate the Supreme Court. Uh, you know, I, I, I think it's just, but, but to think that the executive branch wouldn't execute the, the problem is that this, is, this has to do with the states. We've got seven states now. So, Diane, to your point, if uh, Kathy Hochul of New York, she came out this morning and said, you know, we're going to fight this. Um, but, you know, what can you do? I mean, I, if, if New York ignores that law, then you know, I'm guessing that the Justice Department would step in to enforce it. So, Diane, thanks a lot for the call. I appreciate your comments. Skip in Muskegon, Michigan. Hey, Skip, what's on your mind today? Uh... I was just wondering, Tom, if you uh, noticed the other day when the hearings were on that uh, the Fox Disinformation Channel had them on. It kind of blew me away when I saw it. Yeah, they've been doing that with the daytime hearings. The only one they didn't carry live was the very first one in primetime. Oh, I never noticed it before. They had no comments about it after that. I kept paying attention. But in the morning, I get up early, like 5 a.m. I always watch the news early to catch weather. And uh, I noticed that they were discussing it a little bit, and they were talking negatively against Trump, which right. really kind of blew me away. And I'm like, okay, does the Fox Channel want to push him onto the tracks and back someone else? I think what's they, happening, they, Skip, is that they're reaching the point where they can no longer deny reality. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's just, I mean, there, there's only so much BS you can shovel at your viewers before they finally figure I, it out. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so okay. We, we will see, like, but, you know, I, uh, do you watch Fox regularly? Well, I catch them in the morning for the weather. I, I've noticed years ago, friends of mine would that I know are Democrats, and I'm like, what are you watching Fox for? And right. says, well, they can give you the regular daily news, and they have to tell you the truth. 
you no, know, they don't. <laughs> but, oh, they don't? <laughs> right. But but the reason I was asking Skip is I was I was wondering, you know, what the you know, what you're noticing, if you're noticing any trends on Fox and in, in terms of the things that they're talking about. Um, because I have read that they I, I don't watch Fox. I, you know, I occasionally we'll turn it on, uh, you know, to see what the what they're ranting about. But it, it, it's just there's a. There's a gag response that I have when Fox is I know, on. I know what you mean. Um, but I, you know, I was wondering if there, if this uh, backing away from Trump is now extending into their prime time lineup. Uh, you know, Tucker Carlson no. going off on nicotine last night um, kind of says to me that he's got nothing else to talk about that he's willing to talk about. Yeah, I, I, I see that they're they're not spending time, you know, kissing up to him like they used to, and that's. That's like who I know. I don't think DeSantis because yeah. right now in the polls he's not looking that good. But no, DeSantis is. DeSantis just beat Trump in a in a poll in New Hampshire yesterday. Oh no, I I meant as like if he was to stay in a race for governor. Oh, I think I think DeSantis is running for governor. He's running for reelection, and I'm I'm guessing he'll have no problem getting reelected. Um. And then he'll use that as the platform for 2024. You know, he clearly wants to be president. I think there's a very good chance that he could become our next president. And that's why we need to pay attention to this guy, because he is a, an unrepentant fascist. He's willing to use the power of the state. I mean, look at that, that woman who, who uh, simply, her job was to give people COVID statistics, and she simply told the truth. And, you know, oh he had God. the stormtroopers yeah. show up at her house, you know, basically. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, steal her computers, uh, you know, threaten her with prison. I mean, it's just, it's... It's nuts. He does. He's intelligent enough not to need people to feed him. You know, he's a Harvard-educated lawyer. Yeah. I mean, you know, Ron DeSantis is a very, very smart guy, and and when very, very smart guys embrace fascism, look out. Uh, Skip, I got to run, but thank you for the call. Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant-quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef-to-you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity and what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs. Now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Okay, welcome back. The, uh, my rant today over at HartmanReport.com is about the rise of fascism in America. And, you know, it's titled, Have You Noticed That, um, that America Has Gotten Meaner? And, and here we are. I mean, yesterday, the, last night, the lead story over on the Washington Post was how in the last 24 hours, the number of death threats to people on the January 6th committee has exploded. And uh, no pun intended. And as a consequence, they're they're uh, you know coming up with security details for the for these folks on this committee. And the point that I'm making with this article 
is that we need to discuss the violence and threats that are coming, that are now endemic to the GOP. Because they signal a uh, hopefully reversible, but possibly terminal slide into fascism. Fascism, let us be very clear. Fascism is violence. The philosophy of fascism is, fascism is rooted in violence. The nomination, domination of the many by the few. Uh, whether it's physical violence, political violence, great, the violence of great wealth, unjustified violence inflicted by the state under the color of law. At its core, though, fascism is rooted in physical violence, intimidation, and murder. It is war brought into politics and governance. And violence like this has its own power and its own attraction. The media is drawn to it, making violence the most powerful recruiting tool a fascist movement has. And insecure, frightened men and the occasional woman participating in fascist violence find a sense of agency, of individual power and meaning, a sort of orgasmic release from the life of ordinariness and political impotence. And make no mistake, the Republican Party has become the party of political violence, of fascism. And Democrats continue to treat these fascist Republicans as if they're outliers, as if they're the few bad apples. Uh, Joe Biden talks about, well, you know, we can still work across the aisle. No, you can't. Not in any meaningful way. You can work across the aisle to, to, to like with this gun legislation, to, to put up things that look pretty but have no meaning. But actual meaningful legislation, no. They're not going to participate in that. And frankly, as I said, I, I think the gun legislation is dead. But, you know, Democrats have watched the violence coming from Republicans, threats of violence against school board members, against nurses and hospitals treating COVID, against abortion providers, against racial minorities and queer people who Republican legislators declare and try to put into law are less than human or aberrations that must not be tolerated in a free society. This is what the, the Republican Party in Texas said just last week. The media continues to largely ignore these frequent moments when the fascist infiltrated police departments are actually like, you know, when they uh, just last week at the uh, Pine Valley Public Library in Wilmington, North Carolina, the Proud Boys showed up to harass the librarians and the police walked them into the building. I mean, this is, this is what is happening right now. And, and the media and the Democrats are going, well, those are the exceptions. No, I'm sorry, this is the new rule. These displays of violence and the willingness to use violence are declarations. They are statements of purpose. They are spoken and executed with pride. They are assertions by the fascists that they intend to exercise violence and its power up to and including murder. Republicans lionized Kyle Rittenhouse for, for you know, driving from, from uh, Chicago suburbs to, to Minneapolis to kill two people with an assault weapon. They celebrate police violence with their thin blue line flags and the all black U.S. flag that says, I'm willing to kill my political opponents. I mean, this, this is uh, Republicans in their television ads now are all guns, all, all assault weapons all the time. These are all expressions of fascism. Rusty Bowers, the, the Republican head, the Speaker of the House in Arizona, told the story of how uh, people were outside his house chanting threats at him as his daughter lay dying. Not a word from Ronna Romney McDaniel about that about the embrace of violence by the base of the Republican Party that she leads. Not a word from congressional Republicans about the violence against their own fellow Republicans. Brad Raffsenperger and, and Rusty Bowers. Not a word from, from any of them. Not a word from Republican media other than to cynically mouth excuses and justifications because violence is now their brand. They revel in it. They boast about it. Sure and Angle, the Second Amendment solutions. Donald Trump, I can murder someone on Fifth Avenue and I'll still get elected. These are proud statements of their willingness to use violence. And we have to reconcile this with, you know, with our, our current reality. 
This is no different than ISIS and Al Qaeda. Those are fascist organizations also. They use violence. They drive around and, you know, a bunch of guys with assault weapons in the back of a pickup truck. It's happening in America right now. And for Republicans in Congress, oh, this is not a problem. It can happen here. You can read the entire article, which goes into a lot more detail and has links out and whatnot, over at HartmanReport.com. In USA Today this week, five retired American generals, Michael Hayden, James Clapper, Stanley McChrystal, Douglas Lute, and Mark Hurtling, wrote an op-ed titled, We Fought to Defend Democracy, This New Threat to America Now Keeps Us Awake at Night. What are they talking about? They're talking about this fascist element that has seized control of the Republican Party, principally in the persona of Donald Trump, but broadly, I mean, Trump could, could drop dead of a, a, you know, one too many cheeseburgers tonight and his movement will live on tomorrow. It no longer needs Donald Trump. In fact, I, you know, I've, I've been telling you for two years now that Donald Trump is not going to be the nominee of the Republican Party in 2024. It wouldn't surprise me if his son is, nominee, is the nominee for vice president. But I don't think he's going to be the president. But the movement that he has created, this fascist movement that he has created in this country, it is growing. Because as I noted, you know, in the, in the first hour, fascism, the, the, fa fascism is all about violence and the violence that fascism uses actually attracts people. It's the most powerful recruiting tool fascists have is their own violence. Because you get all these insecure men who uh, feel like their lives are dull and ordinary and boring and feel like they're politically impotent and, and perhaps sexually impotent in some cases, but p politically impotent. And the violence gives them meaning. I mean, it's, I, I realize I'm kind of playing off Chris Hedges, the title of Chris Hedges' book, War is a, is a Force that gives, a, gives, us, gives Life Meaning or Gives Us Meaning, but it's absolutely the case. And of course, war is simply violence, and fascism is simply war being used in politics and in governance. These five generals, they wrote, today we harbor unprecedented concern for our country and for our democracy. The nation we have defended for decades is in real peril. Now, I'm telling you, when five retired generals come out and say something like that, we damn well better pay attention. They go on to say, history teaches us that democracy is never guaranteed. Not even here. Our democratic institutions and norms are more vulnerable than ever. If you were to ask us when, our, when in our lives we were most likely to be losing sleep at night, and keep in mind, these are all men who have been on the battlefield, who, who have lived through some of the biggest crises in American history. Through 9-11, through, through the assassination of Kennedy, through the Cuban Missile Crisis, through I, on and on. They say, if you were to ask us when in our lives we were most likely to be losing sleep at night, we would all tell you last night and tonight and tomorrow night. They go on to say, for those of us devoted to protecting democracies abroad... There comes a time when our efforts seem overshadowed by the erosion of democracy here at home. You get this? This is the point I'm making. And, and with my op-ed this morning at HartmanReport.com, you know, that, that talks about, uh, you know, is America getting meaner? That, that basically fascism is sweeping this land. And it is replacing democracy. We have a half a dozen states now that have passed laws saying that it doesn't matter how, who the people vote for as president. We, the state legislature, are going to decide what, you know, how we cast our vote in the Electoral College. You've got uh, almost 30 states that have passed laws making it harder for people to vote. 
explicitly, intentionally, proudly. Yes, let's, let's whittle down democracy to the size where we can drown it in the bathtub, to paraphrase Grover Norquist. They go on to say, and for those of us focused on domestic security, speaking of them, these five generals, and for those of us focused on domestic security, the forces of autocracy now trump traditional foreign threats hands down. In other words, you have more to fear from the militia driving around your town with a bunch of guys with, with AR-15s in the, back seat, in the back of a pickup truck and, a, and big Trump and American flags. You have more to fear from them than from ISIS, from Al-Qaeda, from the Chinese army, from the Russian army, from, I mean, you know, fill in the blanks, right? They go on to point out, it is no accident. I mean, these guys are, you know, this is their way of writing my op-ed. It is no accident, they write in, in USA Today today. It is no accident that one in three Americans seem willing to justify political violence as a means of overturning election results. You get it? These guys are saying, we're talking about you, Donald Trump, and your followers. You. Are, have put our democracy at such risk that we, five highly decorated generals, are saying it is a greater threat to the United States than Russian nuclear weapons. It is a greater threat to the United States than 17 Saudis flying airplanes into, into buildings in New York City. It is a greater threat to the United States than the blind shake trying to blow up the, the trade, trade center. It's a greater threat to the United States than the infiltration of our government computer systems by Russian cyber hackers. It's a greater threat to the United States than, than China militarizing the, the, the South China Sea and the Straits of Taiwan. It's a greater threat to the United States than Ebola or COVID or monkeypox or whatever. Trumpism, fascism, these five generals are saying. My word's not theirs, but they, this is the essence of what they are saying. Is, is here and is keeping them up at night, and they are saying that this is the greatest threat they have seen in their lifetimes. These are all men in their 60s and 70s. They end on a, on a voice of hope, I suppose you could say. They say a clear majority of Americans favor strengthening our democracy rather than weakening it. Imagine the impact on our lawmakers if each of them heard from each of us with the simplest of all messages. And then they're talking about the safe pledge. They, 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 you know, which is a nice nonpartisan initiative, but you know, frankly, it's not going to do anything. The only way you stop fascists is by outlawing fascism. It's very simple. It's very straightforward. And, and frankly, very much something that we need to be all about. If we don't stop this, we can see from the lessons of history where it's going. You know, when Duterte took over the Philippines, a democracy, a democratic election. And what did he start doing? He killed over 10,000 people, executed them, had his police execute them. No, no, no trials or anything. The Philippines is now a fascist state. You've got to nip it in the bud. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. 
You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. And uh, welcome back. Tom Harmon here with you. And <laughs> oh, my, my, the retired generals. Okay, so what else, you know, what does Fox have to say about all these kinds of things, about the loss of democracy, about the rise of fascism? Well, absolutely nothing. Instead, they whine about being victims. This is what fascist media does, is they promote narratives of victimhood. There is an other out there that is coming to get us. Illegals are coming. Caravans are coming. Oh, my God, we got crime in the streets. You know, black people want your job. Women want your job. And now, it's, now we've got Tucker Carlson claiming that the FDA trying to dial back the nicotine in cigarettes, in other words, make cigarettes slightly less addictive so that people are, will find it easier to quit smoking. Tucker Carlson says this is a plot to make working class men more passive and easier to control. Now, let's keep in mind, tobacco kills 500,000 Americans a year. That's 10 times as many Americans as are killed by gun violence. That's 11 times as many Americans as are killed in car accidents. Tobacco kills a half million Americans a year. It killed one of my brothers. I'm going to his memorial in August. I'll be off for a few days. Um, it, it, to, tobacco is deadly poison. And nicotine is an addictive drug. So what does Carl, Tucker Carlson say? He says, well, now what happens when you get off nicotine? Well, your testosterone levels plummet and you gain weight, both of which the administration is for because you become more passive and easier to control. Seriously. Vince Colonnese, who used to be a guest on my program, <laughs> Vince used to come on and debate me. It's been a long, long time. Conservatives just won't debate me anymore. They don't feel like they have to. They, they've got their own little world that they live in. It's really unfortunate because I used to, I mean, you know, we used to have conservatives debating me on this program two, three times a week the first 15 years that we were on the air. But, you know, now, no, 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 we just don't even talk outside our own little bubble because our bubble is big enough that we can live in it and we don't need to talk to anybody else. So anyhow, Vince Colonnese was on with Tucker and Tucker throws the discussion to him. And he says, uh, yeah, you know, where's the effect of uh, even decriminalizing marijuana is part of this plot, this liberal plot to make right-wing men passive. This is what uh, Vince said. He said, quote, so they've removed the drugs that make you sharper and they're importing the drugs that kill you and make you duller. The drugs that make you sharper, he's talking about tobacco or nicotine specifically. And the drugs, in importing the drugs, he's talking about pot. He goes on to say, uh, and then Tucker Carlson replies, he says, nicotine is one of the few remaining pleasures for ordinary people, particularly working class men, and now they're taking it away. You think Tucker Carlson smokes? He's not an idiot. He knows how deadly tobacco is. There's not a chance that Tucker Carlson smokes. But he's willing to exploit it. He's willing to exploit the death of a half a million Americans, many of them followers of his. It's really tragic. Okay, to revisit the gun issue for a moment with you, the Supreme Court decision, the Supreme Court basically said that uh, the seven states that have laws that say that you must demonstrate a reason 
to get a concealed carry permit to carry a, a concealed weapon in public, that those seven states, those laws are now struck down. And uh, it's just a, astonishing. Kirsten Gillibrand, I think, uh, had the, the pithiest comment, the, the re Democratic senator from New York. She said of the Supreme Court justices, these right, this was a six to three decision. Six right wingers, six Republicans said, yeah, more guns. Yeah, more guns for America. Three Democrats on the court said, oh, wait a minute, states, states should be able to make up their own mind on these things. And this is what uh, Senator Gillibrand said, and it's brilliant. She said they believe in states' rights when they want to regulate women's reproductive freedom, but they don't believe in states' rights on issues of public safety and common sense gun laws. Bingo. Ed Markey echoed that. He said, uh, Senator Richard Blumenthal, he said it unleashes violence across America by letting more guns in public places and undermining state protections against gun violence in no way it in no way undermines the bipartisan gun measure we shall pass today. Well, I was predicting earlier that this is going to be the death of that bipartisan gun measure. We'll see. We'll see. Maybe I'm wrong. This is the first paragraph of Justice Alito's dissent. I wanted to share this with you, too. I just, uh, during the break here, I've, I've taken the time during, throughout the breaks during the program and, uh, to, to read as much as I can of this decision. And uh, uh, Justice Breyer's dissent, he said, in my view, this decision rests upon several serious mistakes. First, the court decides this case on the basis of the pleadings without the benefit of discovery or an evidentiary record. And I'm like, what? Really? They didn't bother to investigate the facts. They simply listened to a couple of lawyers and said, okay, we'll make up our mind now. Seriously? He goes on to say, as a result, it may well rest its decision on a mistaken understanding of New York, of how New York laws, New York's law operates in practice, because they didn't bother to look at it. They didn't look at any of the evidence. Breyer continues, second, the court wrongly limits its analysis to focus nearly exclusively on history. It refuses to consider that government interests that justify a challenged gun regulation, regardless of how compelling those interests may be. The Constitution contains no such limitation, and neither do our precedents. And then he says, third, the court itself demonstrates the practical problems with its history-only approach. In applying that approach to New York's law, the court fails to correctly identify and analyze the relevant historical facts. Like the fact that, you know, this has been the law in New York for over 100 years. And they're saying, oh, yeah, well, we're going to overthrow that law because we're going to rest on history. Really? He says, only by ignoring an abundance of historical evidence supporting regulations restricting the public carriage of firearms can the court conclude that New York's law is, quote, not consistent with the nation's historical tr tradition of firearm regulation. In other words, they pull this out of their backsides. It doesn't get worse than that. This is just breathtaking. Okay, picking up your phone calls. Nancy in Woodland, California. Hey, Nancy, what's on your mind today? Oh my gosh, there's so much stuff you've been talking about. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's always a full good day, every isn't day, it? but yeah, it's amazing. Uh, good, good for those generals. Um, yeah, a brief comment before my question regarding the Rusty Bowers fellow. Mm -hmm. And I, like most people, I was really impressed by his, his powerful statement during the hearing. But I was, I've since been just blown away by the fact that he has said he would still vote for Trump. I know. And, and I just, these modern, this modern Republican Party just puzzles the heck out of me. And it kind of leads to my other question is, do you think that, or my question is, do you think that this Eric Greitens, Greitens ad um, calling to hunt down rhinos, uh, which caused a lot of outrage even among some Republican politicians, right. do you think that will have any effect on any policies, especially about guns, uh, especially with all the violence going on nowadays? I think it's just noise around the edges. I really do. The, the Republican Party is so committed to this um, this tribe, this cultural, uh, these, a particular set of cultural touchstones, um, guns, tobacco, um, pickup trucks, uh, you know, uh, living in rurally. I mean, they, they, they have branded themselves. Um, and this was a decision that was made back in the early 80s. And that was when, I mean, back, you know, when Reagan became president, there were a number of uh, your Midwestern, uh, what are now red states, that were very blue. 
you know, Iowa. Uh, there were there, I'd have to go back and look at a map from the from the late 70s or early 80s, but there were a lot of them. And but they were low population states, which meant it was very inexpensive to buy radio and television stations in those states. It was very inexpensive to run major political campaigns in those states. And so the the, the right wing billionaires who were running the Republican Party said, OK, let's let's just do a, a project here and take over state after state after state. And the only states that they haven't been able to take over are the ones with very, very large populations where the media is quite expensive. But, you know, they started out with these small states. And frankly, I think the Democrats should do this right now. They should say, OK, we're going to pick one state this year or, you know, every six months or something. We're going to, this year it's going to be Iowa. Next year it's going to be uh, Wyoming. The next year it's going to be Minnesota, whatever. And just pour all kinds of time and effort and money and media into, the, into that state and make things happen. But, I, you know, frankly, Nancy, I am not. I'm not optimistic that the Greitens situation is going to lead to anything. Nancy, thanks a lot for the call. Tyrone in Harlem, New York. Hey, Tyrone, what's up? Hey, Tom. Just what you were talking about, this whole um, judge um, decision and the decisions that they have made in general. You know, they're about to take away the women's right to choose. You know, the whole voting rights situation, the whole things that that have been detrimental to the forward mobility of this country. In, in numerous ways. My concern is, you said it, it only happened two times when the, the, the executive branch decided to say, you know what, we're not going to... And, and one time it was, it was more acceptable to say, listen, you can't treat people, human beings, like they're property. Right. You know, that, that was more of a, of a way to, to ignore that. Yeah, that was Lincoln defying the court. But that, again, that was yes. the, the federal government defying the court. I don't know of any example where the states have defied the court. Yeah, so now I, I see us getting more and more into, like you said, this, this whole dictatorship, this fascist um, country. And if we, if we have two uh, branches that are, you know, two uh, political parties, one of them is not don't have the guts to stand up for the Constitution, and the other one that have the guts to destroy the Constitution, we're in a pickle. Yeah. And if we don't... If That's we, where we're at right now. Yeah, and I'm, I'm afraid that we won't be able to stand up to the, the lawlessness, you know, so I may go out and give me a parent permit because I'm afraid they're going to bring back Plessy. Yeah. You know, I'm afraid they're going to, you know, they're going to bring back the Susan that slay that. Well, I doubt. Though, I doubt. I, th- I think you're right that they, you know that it's not inconceivable that they would bring back Plessy. Yeah. They have effectively done that with yeah. regard to voting by striking down the, the Voting Rights Act. You know, in the Shelby County yeah. decision. I don't think they're going to bring back Dred Scott, but they're they're Plessy. Yeah. They're good with that. You know, yeah. it's obvious. Yeah. And yeah. So, so yeah, I, I share your concerns. I, I really do. Tyrone, yeah. I got to move along, but thank you for the call. It's uh, you know spot on. Pam in Chicago. Hey, Pam, your thoughts. Hey, Tom. Tom, I don't know what these Republicans, I would put nothing past them. I don't know. They might try to enslave black people again if they get desperate enough. I just really don't know. Uh, But what I was going to ask, Tom, how are we going to deal with these fascist bullies? Because I know everyone is saying we got to organize and get out and vote. But for those who are already in power and acting in a lawless way, there has to be some consequence. For me, they're not honorable, and I'm talking about these elected officials in Congress, and we have to stop saying that. But we need also our Democratic elected officials to call them out. Stop trying to pretend like these are honorable colleagues that you just differ with. on a few views. These are fascists. These are serious. And, Tom, if this corruption were occurring on the street, just like they talk about street crime, they all have something to say. But no one has anything to say about the crime and the criminal activity that emanated from the White House under Trump. Yeah. And I'll hang up and listen, Tom. Yeah. I I think your points are all very, very well made, Pam. Your question where you said, how do we stop this rise of fascism in the United States? And if you look at the history of fascism, and uh, you know, frankly, I think you could take this all the way back to the Roman and Greek republics. But you know, let's just go back to the 19 to 1919 when Benito Mussolini invented fascism. He had 300 black shirts. He was just this obscure guy with with a volunteer militia, his own Proud Boys, and there was 300 of them. 
And over a three-year period, they started beating up people. He was hired by the industrialists of his time to break strikes. And they went around and they beat up union workers who were on strike. This was the hallmark of the fascists, the, of the black shirts. And within three years, because they were using violence, and the media was publicizing it, within three years, the black shirts had grown to 20,000 people. And on October 31st, 1922, this started in 1919, on October 31st, 1922, Benito Mussolini and his 20,000 black shirts marched on Rome, approached the king, and said, dissolve parliament and make me prime minister or we will burn the city down. And the king did it. He said, okay. There was no election. Mussolini was never elected anything. So, you know, using violence to achieve power, yeah, check, there you go. So how do you stop it? Well, history shows that the only way that, violent, that, that fascism has ever been stopped is with violence by the state, is by the power, is using the power of the state. And if we want to stop fascism in the United States, that's what we have to do. We have to outlaw some of this uh, so-called militia behavior and start putting people in jail for it, particularly when they're violent, when they're disruptive. You know, there has to be a legal response to this, frankly, in my opinion. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Our book today in the Tom Hartman Book Club is Tyranny from Plato to Trump, Fools, Syncopants, and Citizens by Andrew Fiala. This is from the preface. It starts out with a uh, quote from Mary Wollstonecraft from her book uh, A Vindication of the Rights of Women. Quote, tyrants would have cause to tremble if reason were to become the rule of duty. We recently witnessed the failure of a would-be tyrant who attempted to subvert the rule of law and overturn the result of a democratic election. The American system was pushed toward a cliff. But constitutional guardrails slowed things down. Conscientious people pumped the brakes and the system held. This was a lesson of tyranny averted. We should take stock and learn what worked and what needs improvement in our system and in our souls. And while the American crisis of 2020-2021 was frightening, a broader historical perspective helps. The threat of tyranny is common, but the cure is well known. It involves virtuous citizenship and a stable constitution. The tyrant's rise and fall is an old story. Consider, a plague descended on the nation as the tyrant ranted and raved, refusing to admit that he was the cause of the nation's ills. The tyrant lived in a fantasy world of his own creation. He refused to accept what was said by those who spoke truth to power. Instead, he listened only to those who flattered his ego and encouraged him in his delusions. The nation suffered profoundly under the tyrant and his plague, he tried to blame the plague on some other scapegoat. Members of the public were seduced by the tyrant and his syncopants to sacrifice everything on behalf of a lie. Violence erupted. When the awful truth was finally revealed, the chorus reached a tragic conclusion. And then there's a block of poetry here. Our lives were mere shadows. Happiness fades away to nothing. The tyrant's fall reminds us that no human creation lasts forever. Plague and trouble make victims of us all. This is from Oedipus, the tyrant. Lines uh, 1190. This is the story of Oedipus. It is also the story of Donald Trump. The players in this tragedy are found throughout history. They are the tyrant, his syncophants, and the moronic masses. The tyrant rages, the syncophants simper, the masses cheer and howl, fight and die. As the plague spreads, good things fall apart and decency suffers. This tragedy brings with it the risk of despair. The good news is that the cure for this disease is well known. It is, as Mary Wollstonecraft, reason. Life in general must be made reasonable. 
This means we need a reasonable constitution as well as wise and virtuous citizens. Wisdom and virtue work together to prevent tyranny. Plato and Aristotle knew this, as did John Adams. Adams wrote in his diary when he was vice president of the United States, quote, tyranny can scarcely be practiced upon a virtuous and wise people. But wisdom, virtue, and reason are often lacking. Wollstonecraft laments the fact that, quote, tyranny in whatever part of society it rears its brazen front will ever undermine morality. Tyranny is not only a political problem, it is also a moral and spiritual one. It afflicts our souls as well as churches, businesses, and family life. Wollstonecraft's important contribution was to argue that for the liberation of women in an era when women were oppressed by the tyranny of patriarchal families. Wollstonecraft was a contemporary of Thomas Jefferson and other thinkers of the 18th century Enlightenment. Despite their claims to enlightenment, the heroes of this tradition suffered from moral blindness, as we all do. Jefferson's words inspired a revolution against the tyrant King George III. The words inscribed in the Jefferson Memorial state, I have sworn upon the altar of God eternal hostility against every form of tyranny over the mind of man. But Jefferson owned slaves, one of the more obvious forms of tyranny in the world. We must all be careful of our blind spots. Reason aims to shed light by holding up a mirror. The remedy for tyranny is philosophical self-examination. This is an ongoing process, not a panacea. Each generation must seek to make progress on their path to enlightenment. The good news is that we have made progress. Women were liberated and slavery was abolished. The idea that wisdom and virtue can cure tyranny predates the Enlightenment by over 2,000 years. It was the solution proposed by the ancient Greeks who gave us the very language we will employ here, words such as tyranny, syncophancy, democracy, and political philosophy. The Greeks emphasized the need for virtue among the players in the political drama. Modern thinkers built upon this and emphasized the need for a rational system of government that prevents tyranny. Tragedy is avoided when leaders and citizens are virtuous and when a stable constitutional system guarantees individual rights, divides power, and creates checks and balances. We have known the cure for thousands of years, but the disease is genetic. Every generation or so, the conditions conspire to bring together an ugly cast of characters that includes the tyrant, his syncophants, and the moronic fools who cheer him on. The book, Tyranny from Plato to Trump, by Andrew Fiala. Kendall in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Hey, Kendall, what's up? Hi, Tom. Um, I was just rereading Animal Farm and oh, talking about fascism and all. George Orwell's book. George Orwell's book. And I had read it in high school, but I wasn't, uh, you know, I really wasn't old enough to try to understand these concepts and stuff. But I think we throw right away the words fascism and authoritarianism a little too simply for a lot of people to understand. So I just would really recommend that if somebody wants to understand what fascism is truly about, they should reread or read Animal Farm again and really get a clear picture of what's going on. Yeah, I, I'm with, I haven't read it since high school, so uh, you know my recollection is kind of fuzzy. But do you want to, Kendall, summarize in a couple of sentences what uh, the lesson of fascism is that you found in that book? Well, the thing I found most striking about it, it's a, it's a about a farm that's taken over by animals. Right, and animals. essentially, yeah. And they're trying to overthrow, well, they want to get rid of the human farmer that they feel is keeping them down and, you know, uh, keeping them underfed and overworked. So they do manage to run him out. And then the, the smartest of the animals are the pigs. And the pigs take over, and they slowly become what, what the farmer was uh, right. to these animals. Yeah. And they do it through lies and manipulations, which is exactly what we're seeing in this country right now, which is what is so terrifying about it, really. Yep. And that's the thing I think that really stuck with me reading it the second time around yeah. was that, um, you know, I, the manipulations and the lies. And that's All you had to do is take the... Go ahead. Oh, I'm go sorry. Ahead. Well, the lead pig is called Napoleon. Mm -hmm. 
And I think if you just take Napoleon's name out of there and you put in Trump, uh, it just, it works. It just kind of comes yeah. to life. Yes, it does. Yeah, and it's a, it's a brilliant know. example of, of what an extraordinary writer George Orwell was. I mean, uh, that 1984, both those books are so filled, so rich in nuance and character development. They, it, it, he just brings alive these situations. And, and uh, yeah, Animal House. Kendall, thank you. Thank, thanks for that. Yeah. And thanks for sharing that with, oh, our, with our listeners. Jim in Hillsboro, Oregon. Hey, Jim, what's up? Just a little word about fascism. Yeah. The symbol of fascism is uh, is usually the fascist, or at least that's where the name originated. That's correct, which is a bundle of sticks with a rope around it and an ax stuck in the top. And the idea is you can break one stick, but you can't break a bundle of sticks. There is another idea that the sticks were, well, the whole thing was a symbol of state power, state yeah. authority. Well, that's, that's why there's a fascia carved into the speaker's platform uh, podium at the, at the Capitol building and, and one in the U.S. Supreme Court. I've noticed that, but hang on. The sticks represent the state's ability to inflict corporal punishment. You think? The axe represents capital punishment. In other words, they can beat you. Or, or they can you. Uh, take your life. So where'd you get that from? Did you just come up with that, Jim, or has somebody said that? No, in the past? I did not. Uh, that's uh, oh gosh, Will Durant, historian. Oh, interesting. Wow. Huh. I had no idea. I'll have to look that up. Yeah. Hey, special thanks to Louise Hartman, Sean Taylor, Nate Atwell, Jamie Holly, Joyce the Hammer, Nance, Nigel Peacock, Sue Nethercutt, Patrick Hoyt, Geraldine Halbert, Ron Hartenbaum, Chase Spross, and the folks who run our uh, chat room over on YouTube. Thank you to you all. And thank you for listening and watching our program. Get out there, get active, tag your it. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.